Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Today, Katie is going to school me in all things policy, including a major legislative announcement that came out this week. Yes. And as our listeners may remember, I'm a huge policy nerd. Uh, so I was really jazzed up to learn more about specifically the Inflation Reduction Act, if you don't mind if we start there. Sure. But the Biden administration announced late last week the 10 drugs that will be on the table for negotiations with their manufacturers as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act, which actually lifted uh, a 20-year ban on negotiating with Medicare for drug prices. Wow, I did not yeah. realize that. Yeah. Which may explain why drug prices are so out of control. But so really, this this would uh, negotiations would start in 2020. They would go into effect in 2026, but the products that were selected are really the ones that drive the highest out-of-pocket costs for Medicare consumers, so specifically out-of-pocket costs. There's going to be a lot of conversation about the government making money off of this, X, Y, and Z, but this really is a pass-on to Medicare beneficiaries. Um, and also the highest cost conditions. And so we're looking at diabetes and healthcare specifically, which completely makes sense if you know that population and their comorbidities. Um, these are the big money makers for drug companies. And so as you can imagine, they are displeased. <laughs> well, Katie, tell me a little bit more what, what when you say out of pocket, how, for the average person, what does that mean? Yes. So Medicare Part D, and actually some of these also fall in Part B, and Part B means that they're administered in office, and Part D is that they're essentially specialty pharmacy delivered or picked up at your local Rite Aid, CVS, Walgreens. The Medicare beneficiary in, in Part D specifically, many people are familiar with the donut hole. And off the top of my head, I cannot remember what the, the in, entry points of the donut hole, and then when you're in the donut hole and out of it, but it can be up to like $4,000 a month um, out-of-pocket costs for me as a Medicare beneficiary. So I have told this story to anyone that will listen, but when my mom uh, stopped working before she got on Medicare Part D, we were trying to figure out how uh, we could afford her medications on a monthly basis, and she had metastatic breast cancer at the time. She has uh, anxiety and depression. She had cholesterol and blood pressure medication that she was on. And we realized that it was going to cost her nearly $2,000 a month to cover all of her meds. That's wild. And I thought, no way are we doing that. There has to be a way that, that we can get out of this. And essentially, what I realized was that if she doesn't go on Medicare Part D, that um, she will get free product or discounted product based on being uninsured. Uh, so that avoided what this uh, legislation is trying to solve for, which is that many Medicare beneficiaries are on fixed incomes or low-income households and cannot afford their medication, uh, which results in not adhering to their medication and their conditions getting worse, and then their costs for the healthcare system going up. And so this is, an, in effect, an effort to lower the out-of-pocket costs for beneficiaries so that they get their medicines, take their medicines, stay on their medicines and hopefully reduce costs and a trickle-down effect throughout the whole healthcare system. Which is very timely. You and I have chatted a lot about parents and their health benefits, and my parents are going through a similar situation. Unfortunately, did not have your guidance early <laughs> on. They got on Medicare D. Now you can't get off it. That's correct. Um, and they are facing you know, $700 a month for a single prescription. So I was thrilled to see several of their medicines on that list and hopeful that there'll be some meaningful coverage and action for them. Yes, hopefully. We are coming up on an election year, uh, which does make the timing of the negotiations beginning in next fall and then the implementation of the new rates in 2026 at risk. But assuming that that is something that would move forward, the drug manufacturers, many of whom are familiar to us, are suing the federal government to try and get out of these negotiations, claiming that 
it's against some of their constitutional rights and that they're going to lose, you know, three quarters of their market value or a quarter of their market value. And their claim is that that will inhibit innovation and in drug development research. So you've taught me something that you bring up on this podcast a lot, Katie, which is follow the money. Yes, so, right. so tell me about where this money leads and, and who we should kind of have a little side eye toward. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think that I think that there's probably going to be a lot of money dumped into Republican campaigns as we gear up for the presidential election and local elections in 2024. So you can definitely see probably some backtracking on some of the bigger pharma companies who have limited their contributions to Republican campaigns following some of the anti-abortion laws in certain states and some of the LGBTQ discrimination that's happening in a lot of states. You will likely see that they will open back up those pocketbooks Mm -hmm. so that they can influence uh, who takes the ballot and who takes the win and who will undo this legislation. So you you believe the sentiment is the GOP is more likely to side with the pharma manufacturers and move away from this new policy? Yes. My personal opinion is that the GOP also is uh, more likely to take money and influence of their legislative priorities as well. Interesting. Do you think that there will be any truly meaningful action between now and the next election then? Um, unlikely, since the, the negotiations aren't even supposed to start until September of 2024. And some of the lawsuits are going to evolve based on how those negoti- negotiations begin. And so depending on, I think, where they land in the pricing. So this is also the same legislation that made insulin $35 a month, which, as you remember, that was an immediate take with the passing of the bill. And that was a big blow up for the insulin manufacturers, but it stuck. And so it's a negotiation like anything else. So I would anticipate if the momentum is that... Um, Biden or another Democrat will say in the White House, they might be more likely to come to the table and have the conversation so that they can influence the outcome of the discussion. But if they're feeling more like a red wave is coming, then they may push the negotiations back and just see what ends up happening with the election itself. And what will that mean for patients? It means they're going to keep paying out of pocket. So I was I was surprised to see that it wouldn't take effect for essentially three more years after they announced the drugs that would be on the list. Because it's first 10, and then the next year, I believe it's 22, and then the year after that, it's basically anything's on the table. And so we're really looking at like four to six more years before there's any impact on, on Medicare beneficiaries. And right now, I, I mean, we're, we're aging, our parents are aging, but a lot of our parents that are current Medicare beneficiaries uh, may not even be around in the next four to six years. And so we're seeing even potential for the population of the Medicare beneficiaries that this will benefit decreasing based on the duration of time it may take to get to a place where the prices go into effect. So just kick the can further enough down the lane that it really will be useless yeah. the time it's in place. It that sounds is like. correct. I, I can love when you bring, bring real positive <laughs> yeah. energy on some of these topics. Uh, my, my legislative cynicism, uh, <laughs> when I worked in policy, uh, I think it was during the Reagan administration, they had passed a Medicare percentage pay decrease for physicians. And I, that was in the 80s. And I left SHM in 2011. And they were still fighting year over year. It had gone up to 37% in a cut to Medicare payments to physicians because year over year they just delayed it and added it on the next year. And so there was never actually any cuts to HCP payments out of Medicare because they just continued to delay it legislatively. 
So not to bring up another downer topic, but not, not much different than climate change. <laughs> like, it's Hopefully the next generation it's will figure fine. it out. But... What's that movie? Don't look up. Just <laughs> go about your business. Don't worry about it. No big deal. That's right. The next, the next administration will deal with it. The next leadership at the pharma company will deal with it. The next generation of Medicare beneficiaries will deal with it or not. The GOP is looking to cut Medicare benefits or to restrict them in some capacity as well as Medicaid. And so even that could uh, have a counter effect even if these were to go through. The cuts to the funding for Medicare and Medicare beneficiaries could impact any outcome of this as well. So couldn't they just be a little more innovative and say, hey, we're not just going to cut the plan entirely. We're going to cut the prices of these specific drugs that have already been highlighted to have the biggest benefit and, dare I say, have a bipartisan approach? You would think that that would work out well if we were governing. Sadly, there's not a lot of governing going on in our government these days. But you also think about, like, who, who do our elected officials represent? Medicare beneficiaries. They, most of them are <laughs> old enough, certainly, to be so Medicare beneficiaries themselves. Each constituency includes Medicare beneficiaries. And so you would think that if this is a true benefit to Medicare beneficiaries who are spending an exorbitant amount of money on their health care costs every year, they have no opportunity to be on commercial insurance. We cannot put our parents on our commercial insurance like they could put us. We tried. We looked into it. <laughs> it is a hard no. Hard stuff now. How about they think about creative ways to fund that research that isn't out of the pockets of limited income senior citizens? Exactly. Like, seems right. like there are it's other demographics. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. And even saying like, okay, well, you know, that's going to drive up the costs in these populations and commercial insurers. And so that is something that's going to get passed on to another consumer. Maybe we would be okay with that. Maybe I'd be okay spending five more dollars for a medication that I'm on if it meant that a Medicare beneficiary paid $20 less for their, their product. Yeah, because I think, you know, we're talking a little bit in the theoretical, like, oh, this much money, that much money. But like, it is a real choice for these Medicare participants to say, am I even going to take this medicine this month? Can I afford it? And I've been in those conversations to say, like, I can't believe you're even thinking about not taking medicine that improves the quality of your life. But if the choice is between taking that medication and eating dinner, correct, it's actually a pretty clear choice. Yes. You're going to spend the money on those groceries and you're going to muscle or through or your, and, or your rent and you're going to muscle through and feel like terrible for that month or two months or however long. So you can finally afford that prescription. And it's it's a heartbreaking conversation to be in. We're not. We're health deteriorates and yeah, eventually that person is lost. Thanks for listening to today's Pioneer Podcast, where I got to go back to my nerdy policy roots and talk a little bit about uh, healthcare legislation. Tune in for next time.